so when I when I did the segment for the news, uh, local news out here for my cooking demo, I said, you know, uh, for me to feel like I was successful is like you you go in, you you try your soup, and you have that sense of like, oh, you know, yeah. Uh, and and to me, that is like that that's that sense of umami, like yeah. just hitting you, you know. And it was so funny because the female newscaster. Uh, she tried it and I literally saw her face like yeah. light up and I was just like, yes, I got you, you know? <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome back to The Way Ramen Podcast. On today's episode, I sit down with Kyle Humphreys, a ramen chef in the Indianapolis, Indiana area. Kyle actually hit me up on Instagram with the idea for this episode, and I thought it would be a great idea, so I sat down and recorded it with him right away. I always wondered what it was like to go to one of these ramen schools in Japan that I see advertised on YouTube and Instagram, and Kyle is actually someone who went to one of these schools to learn to make ramen. Specifically, he went to Tokyo Ramen Academy. In this episode, Kyle shares his experiences of what these schools are like, the good, the bad, what he got out of it. And because he's also working as a chef in the restaurant industry, we also talked about what it takes to sell ramen successfully in the US. Kyle is a very talented ramen chef with a very good philosophy of how to make good ramen. And I really enjoyed this conversation and I hope you enjoy it too. So without further ado, here is Kyle Humphreys. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, man. Really appreciate it. Dude, yeah, it was like, uh, when I hit you up, I was like, <laughs> didn't really know like if you just want to talk in general or... And then you're like, yeah, I'll send you the stuff. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> no, like it's it's been something that I've seen for a while. And I was, I've always been curious of what goes on there at those things. Yeah. I've seen videos about it. I know like Brian at Ramen Adventures has shown some schools on this thing. So yeah. I guess, could you, before we get into that, could you give us an introduction of yourself and who you are, or what you're doing out there? And uh... Sure, yeah. So I have always been... Uh, Working in restaurants, stuff like that. Oh, your name Super first, into... I guess. What's your oh, name? Oh, yeah. My, <laughs> name's, my name's Kyle Humphreys. <laughs> uh, the Kyle Machine on Instagram and everything. Um, but yeah, I started in uh, music and uh, when I was younger. And <clears throat> so I was really only able to get <clears throat> full-time, part-time work uh, offside touring in uh, restaurants, stuff like that. So um I decided to go to culinary school probably f- uh, <clears throat> five years ago or so now, um, mostly just for like networking purposes. And uh, that's where I, I ended up meeting uh, Carlos, the chef where I work now. And um, I'd say my first experience eating ramen was probably in 20, 2013 or so um, at a restaurant in Pittsburgh. Um, and yeah, ever since then, it's always been something that's interested me and I've, you know, had a lot of chance to work with it and, uh, which I'm sure we'll get into. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so what was your first experience like? And the reason, well, let's just talk about like the reason why you're on the show is that you went to like one of those ramen schools in Japan. Yeah. And, um, but what was your first experience of eating ramen in Pittsburgh? Like, was it like an authentic ramen from Japan or was it like one of those kind of Americanized ramen. Yeah, so so I've heard on the on the show a lot. Uh, you 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 know you talk with guests about shops potentially using uh, you know base soups and stuff like that. Um, with it being uh, uh, so long ago, I remember it being a much cooler experience than you know the instant ramen. Um, but I don't I don't remember it well enough to be able to say 
was that a legit shop now? Um, be, I, I would assume it's probably somewhere in the middle because I've looked at their menu and it, it's it's pretty big. <laughs> so, but <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I guess with that in mind, um, I've definitely had some shops that are doing some stuff from scratch, some stuff from not, that is sometimes better than shops or, you know, pop-up guys that are claiming to do everything from scratch, you know. Uh, there's definitely some good stuff that can be imported. And uh, while I'm not necessarily an advocate of that, I'm not going to knock it if it's good, you know. Yeah. yeah. At the end of the day, it's the taste. Cool, man. So so you tasted that first bowl in Pittsburgh. And then what what year was it that you decided, I'm going to go to this ramen school in Japan? And I did. I should have so talked that, to you this, about this before, but can we? Are you are you allowed to say the name, or are you going to say only good? Yeah, things? yeah, okay. man. Um, I, they they follow you. Uh, it's the Tokyo Ramen Academy. Oh wow. Okay. Cool. Uh, I'm guys, not going to try to say the the name in Japanese. Uh, I'm going to try <laughs> to avoid that because because my my pronunciation is so bad, man. Uh, but yeah. Um, so that was back in 2018. Um, at the time. Um, the people I was with, we actually looked at going um, to uh, the the ones in particular that Brian from Ramen Adventures, uh, he's done videos on, mm-hmm. but they were um, they were booked up. Uh, so that is that where we ended up going. Okay. And was it like the restaurant that you're working at sent you there or did you decide to go? Oh, there so yeah. So in Indianapolis, there's a restaurant called Ramen Ray and I started working there. Uh, whenever I was going through culinary school, so about three, four years ago. Um, and they work with a Japanese supplier uh, called Nishiyama Simon, or some, some, something along those lines, uh, who is a noodle manufacturer in Japan. I believe they supply over 500 restaurants or something like that. And um, so they are pretty much just making their soup, like a chintan see, stock in the restaurant and the toppings. Um, so they're getting the tare and the noodles from this company. Um, so uh, someone else that worked at that restaurant wanted to open his own restaurant. Um, so he sort of poached me and we ended up going to this ramen school. <laughs> That's the, the really short version of the story okay. uh, with the idea of we want to do everything from scratch. I see. How much do these schools generally cost? I don't know because they don't really advertise the price. But Yeah, yeah. It? So... Uh, so you probably would need to email them to get the exact quotes. Um, we got a little bit of a deal because there were three people, um, but man, it, w- it was pretty pricey. Uh, I want to say it was anywhere probably like $2,000 to $3,000 per person. Oh, wow. Um, and we did the, the course with the translator. Uh, th- this school in particular had different options for uh, even like two-day classes, like if you're trying to learn a specific style of ramen. Um, but we had the the English course with a, a translator, and I, I want to say it was like nine days, um, pretty pretty full days. And then the last day, uh, you do like your custom recipe, and they open the doors to, you know, real-life customers, stuff, stuff like that. <laughs> oh, wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I've seen, see, like yeah. I've seen these things online, but I don't really know what in, what these schools entail. Could you tell us like what the experience is like? Like you get there, you know, you you don't, I I assume you guys don't really speak too much Japanese too. So you get there and like, what's the whole thing? Yeah. So that there, there's an interesting story (laughs) uh, behind that. Um, So the school itself is between like Tokyo and Chiba. I, Mm -hmm. I forget the, 
exact prefecture town, um, but it, it's kind of out in the country off of a highway, right? So as you're getting further out of Tokyo, um, you know, you go from riding uh, the trains to riding buses and there's much less uh, English um, <laughs> as the further you get outside of, you know, the cities. Um, and so we're along this country highway and we, 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 we get to the school and we're like, oh, wow, this is going to be uh, interesting. <laughs> so um, we were able to, we check in like a day early and they have a kind of like a dormitory behind uh, where the, the classrooms and the, the restaurant is. And um, yeah, the owners, they, they didn't speak English at all. So we're passing back like Google Translate, like oh, showing man. each other messages and, <laughs> and stuff like that. And um, we're, we're able to work that out. So uh, they tell us, you know, we're going to start at 9 a.m. the next day. So 9 a.m. we go in and it's the owner and his wife and... Um, uh, we, we figure out that the translator, uh, who's supposed to be flying in from Australia, something happened with his flight. So his flight was delayed. He's not going to be there till the next day. Oh, no. So, so the owner's son, um, is, is there and he is a, uh, high school student. Huh. And, uh, uh, in Japan, uh, all of the, pretty much all of the, the younger people, they know English to a certain extent now. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so uh, he is going to translate for us that day. Um, and the first day is kind of like uh, classroom day. Okay. So you're sitting in front of a whiteboard. Uh, they're writing all kinds of different, you know, elements to ramen, uh, breaking down like noodle hydration, talking about all the umami acids, uh, which is really cool because I had never heard a lot of that stuff mm -hmm. before. Um, but anyway, so... Uh, the sensei would give like uh, an introduction and then he'd look at his son and he'd go uh, <laughs> like 10 seconds of silence. And then he would, he would start to talk, but it was, you know, kind of broken, kind of slow, but honestly um, it, it worked out. Uh, and I think they were, they were kind of stressed out <laughs> that oh, that yeah. was our first day that um, the owner took us out to a ridiculous like dinner afterwards and paid for everything. So, so it was great, you know, and it was a fun story. Yeah. So when you went to the school, what was your expectations of like, you know, what did you expect to learn? And yeah, so from from working at the the other the other ramen restaurant, mm. only kind of knowing the the basis of everything, but kind of wanting more. Uh, we figured, you know, we go to Japan. We're gonna first of all experience go to like very legit ramen restaurants. You know, they're all over the place. So we're gonna you know, eat as much as we can, try to take that in. Um, but really, um, the, the, the questions I wanted to be answered over there were uh, making like Atari from scratch and having it just not suck, <laughs> you know, and then just seeing the, the process behind uh, making noodles on a almost commercial level. Because mm -hmm. um, you can, you know, we can all make living room noodles or kitchen noodles for, you know, 10 portions, but mm -hmm. You know, if you want to make, say, 100 portions a day, 200 portions a day, there's just so much that goes into that. Uh, you know, what kind of equipment do you need to be able to just make enough soup and store it, you know, for that many customers? You know, stuff like that. But, yeah, really, I just, uh, 
I mean, we all have a story of our first attempt at making like miso tare. <laughs> yeah. All that work goes into it, man, and it's it's garbage. Like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For sure. I mean, you would you would know better than me with everyone in the the industry, but I, if you know of anyone who has like their first attempt, like good miso tare recipe, please let me know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. What? So so the first day was was it basically just like you're sitting down taking notes is that what they kind of expected yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh you're, so you're you're there with a notebook. It's like it's like day 1 and they I mean they assume that you you know nothing, you know. Okay. They they start with the you know the five elements of ramen and then they go through in very very uh, rigorous detail uh you know the importance of each. <laughs> Was it like then, like a six hour class or like what was the time you spent like yeah, just I mean, taking I'd notes? Say, the, I'd say the first day was probably 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 about like eight eight hours or oh so. Pretty stand, yeah, yeah. And the like the last hour or two, um, we actually made uh, made tare, uh, so it could uh, rest overnight, so mm-hmm. we could start using it the next day. I see. I see. Yeah. That's cool. Cool, man. Yeah. This is. I have always wanted to know these things. So. Um, yeah. And then what was like the, it was like a nine day course. So what was the breakdown with the other days? Was it basically in the kitchen from the, from then on your, your yeah. hands on? Yeah, stuff? pretty much. We, we had like, um, there, there were times where we would go back to the classroom just to kind of give like a brief overview of what we were going to be doing or something like that. But it was, it was pretty much all in the kitchen. And then the last two, so I'd say it was like seven days of instruction and then the eighth day is you planning and preparing uh, your your signature ramen. And then the last day is you're you're selling that, and then they give you like a exam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah. So after the the first day of kind of classroom stuff, um, we had a day where we did like uh, uh, chintan soup, and then the next day we did like the high quality authentic version where we're you know, using lots of dried fish and combining it with the dashi and all, all that good stuff. Then we had a day or two of uh, like python, tonkatsu, uh, tori python, all kinds of stuff like that. And then, you know, we have all these different tares that um, we've put together and we're we're testing those against different different soups, uh, seeing, seeing what worked, what didn't work. Uh, and at the same time, you're obviously taking notes um, mm-hmm to be like oh wow this like show you worked really well um and they have probably dozens of different like noodles some are made there some are from suppliers all kinds of stuff so yeah really like after the classroom it's it's like five days of just experimentation (laughs) only you have these people that are very experienced restaurateurs that can tell you if something sucks or why it sucks or, I see. or tell you something's good, you know? Oh, that's pretty cool. So you get like the yeah. instant validation, whether if you're doing it right, is everybody making their own soup? Like you guys each have your own pot and you're making it or is it just like, yeah, yeah. So, so there were, there were three of us and um, yeah, they were actually very adamant that we all did our own stuff. Not like, okay, we're going to watch as a group, you know, this person do it. Like we all got to experience everything. And then another thing that was kind of cool is, um, so we were there for like, yeah, eight or nine days. Um, 
there were other students that were starting like different days and they oh, were okay. from uh there was a kid from like denmark uh there was a um another guy from uh in in japan like sapporo uh and and it was just really cool like getting you know their input their story because eventually we were all kind of um working on similar stuff so uh, we're also trying, you know, their recipes, they're trying our recipes. So you're getting like all kinds of feedback. It was just, it was really cool. <laughs> oh, that's pretty cool, man. Like, yeah. um, and so did you, so you got to taste everybody else's ramen as they're yeah. making it. Yeah. I mean, oh, I that's... mean, cause obviously like, oh dude. And I, I mean, we, it was just, I mean, we literally, you would test something and then you have two other people, sometimes three other people's to test. And, you know, so you're trying like one or two, uh, you know, spoons of soup you gotta try it with the noodles obviously mm-hmm. maybe get a little bit of topping in there uh and then everybody's is different so <laughs> and you're you're just like all day just like trying different ramens so it's like definitely a gut buster <laughs> <laughs> and every, was everybody like trying to do the same recipes and it tasted different or was everybody already putting their own twist on it and so so everybody pretty much like they'd be like okay um uh we're going to do like a uh uh, we'll just say like a chinton shoyu or whatever. So everybody has their chinton broth, whatever kind of aroma oil you decide you want to try to use. So we had probably, we we literally probably made 30 aroma oils. Oh, wow. It's all there for us to, you know, throw, throw, throw in any, any amounts. So some of us are using uh, more tare than others. Some of us are using more oil than others. We have our own soups, and then a lot of times they'd be like, "Oh wow, yours is like better than mine." So they want to, you know, use use your stuff or, or whatever. <laughs> yeah, so, did they then, give yeah. you like? Did they give you guys like clear like? Okay, you guys want to put like this much tare, this much oil, or is it just like? Yeah, you yeah. Guys so sort of. So so on the first day, mm-hmm. they give you a lot of like percentages and and ratios, okay. but they're like obviously that will change as you get a feel for it um because that was like i i kind of got my start with learning about all the ramen stuff from just watching youtube videos Mm -hmm. which is why it was cool when i found your channel because a lot of them are just okay we're gonna make a big batch in the instant pot and then we're just gonna throw salt in (laughs) it's like dude i'm trying to make ramen for a restaurant i need Uh to know like how do you get the ratios where they need to be um but yeah uh so obviously you know, we all know with the tare, you're looking for about like 10% of the soup um, mm-hmm. to get the the right amount of seasoning. Um, but yeah, they, they gave us kind of, um, I guess you could say indirect uh, tare recipes. Like it would be like um, 20%, uh, you know, show you uh, 5% uh, MSG or no mm-hmm. MSG, you know, how, just an example. Um, but yeah, and then they um, they would give us kind of those loose recipes, and then say, "Go in the kitchen, play with them." You know. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, were a lot of the people there? Uh, did they already have culinary experience, or was it mostly complete so, novices? Or yeah, so the group I was there with, um, I had been through culinary school. Or at that point, I think I was almost finished. Yeah. Um, so I had pretty much been through, uh, the guy that was opening the restaurant had 
started and been like, this isn't worth it. <laughs> and I, I, you know, I'm not getting anything out of this. And then the other guy uh, just had restaurant experience. Okay. So everyone kind of had, you know, the fundamentals, which definitely helped. Um, and then some of the people from other groups were already chefs or, and there was one guy who had no experience whatsoever. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. So I would say as far as, as going to those schools, um, you know, if you're interested in getting into restaurants, um, you're, you're going to get the most out of it if you don't have culinary experience. Oh, I see, I see. Um, but not that it wasn't worth it, you know. Mm. What was, um, I guess, yeah, so I had that question, like, do you, at the end of the day, do you feel like it was like a good investment into your, your yourself and your career or yeah, positives, um, negatives about it or? Well, so, so it was definitely like a really, a really cool networking opportunity because um, I met probably five, six people from all over the world from that now that I'm literally contacting here, there being due to, you know, all the stuff going on right now. I'm like, yeah. Hey man, like, are you, are you all right? Like, Cause you know, this is the first thing I've lived through that's affected the entire world. Yeah. It's been yeah. Very scary, but it's, it's cool that, you know, I, I know those people from that. Um, and then, um, but yeah, as far as like the investment, I mean, uh, to, to me, honestly, it was almost like a vacation, you know, it was really uh -huh. fun. And I would have, if I tried to do everything at my house mm -hmm. um, that we did there, I would have spent just thousands on ingredients alone, you know? So um, when you really think about it, yeah, I think it was definitely, definitely worth it. Cool. Yeah. So you you finished the school and then you came back to America. Like, what did you do after? Did you go right into the restaurant that you're? Yeah. You're so there was a little bit of downtime, um, mostly due to uh, my old partner uh, looking for a location. Mm -hmm. um, and so when when we set out to do this, kind of the idea was to be the best in town. Um, and then without going into too much detail. I think when you start to realize, you know, the financial investments, you just start to make shortcuts, you know, <laughs> uh, make things as streamlined as possible. And, uh, you know, eventually it just wasn't going the direction I wanted it to go. So I split off and mm -hmm. uh, went to work for arguably one of the best chefs in the city, um, who's been obviously like, dude, do your thing, do these specials, you know which has been been great for me that's uh so that's been going on since last summer so cool. i had about a year of downtime after getting back to japan then i got involved with the restaurant i'm working at now cool and what what restaurant is that so people know where to find uh, it's you. called little dumplings uh l-l-i-l -L -L. <laughs> oh, okay. dumplings yeah and uh it's it's not actually a dumpling restaurant um the the owner calls his kids little dumplings so it's kind of like a you know it's cute <laughs> and I'm sorry, what, what city was this in again? Uh, Indianapolis, Indiana. So okay. out here in the Midwest. <laughs> How, so this is kind of, an, we talk about this like in the ramen discord and a lot and the, the yeah. economics of running like a ramen shop. I'm sure it sounds like you guys got hit with that reality right away coming back from Japan where it's like, you want to create the, this style of ramen, authentic ramen and stuff, but the economics of serving ramen as like a, the price points of ramen itself just generally can't be super high 
yeah. no matter where you so, go. And so I think I think one thing with the area I'm in in particular, so in Indianapolis, there's, man, there's probably like four or five places that are either ramen restaurants or they sell ramen mm -hmm. now. And really, man, I mean, like the starting price point is literally around like $15. Uh -huh. And I feel like when you're not doing something completely from scratch, especially in that category, that's, that's really kind of hemorrhaging. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so I mean, especially now that I've had, you know, experience, uh, you know, making ramen and selling it. Um, and I know what is available locally and what's not. Um, you know, I, I, I think it's important to me as I move forward is to get it at a acceptable price point. Mm -hmm. Because if you want to have a, a good business, that's just, you know, important right now. And I really think it's overpriced locally right now to begin with. So you probably learned in Japan all these Japanese ingredients. You know, you have like all these high quality fish products, niboshi, katsubushi, yeah, sababushi. Yeah. Mm. And getting those things in America is extremely difficult for like most people, even with a good purveyor or someone that can yeah. get you those things. Have you tr how did you adjust to making ramen in America? So I'm just, I, what it sounds like is you're making ramen at this restaurant and he's kind of giving you the, the rain, free reign. Like, hey, just do, yeah, do so you just a, a brief uh, overview of that. So for the last 10 weeks, um, so the last, you know, how I said he just opened this new restaurant a couple months ago. Um, prior to that, I worked at his other restaurant. Okay. Uh, you know, restaurants are running specials every weekend generally. So the last weekend I was working there, I was like, man, I really want to run a ramen special. So um, I was able to put something together um, and I, I just, uh, I kind of let him know like the day before, Hey, this is something I worked on this week. Like, I don't know if you're going to want to mess with it at all, but uh, here it is. And he said, Oh yeah, man, well, let's run that tomorrow. Um, and it was, it was pretty much like a tonkatsu ramen. Um, but one thing that was cool is um, I used, so one of the things on the restaurant, the old menu was called a, a crispy pata. So it's a Filipino dish. It's pretty much like a fried, uh, pork hock like it's got this the trotter and the shank and they you know serve it with rice so we would braise those for like six seven hours to kind of tenderize them and then we have all this you know basically a pork stock sitting there with like this much fat on top. yeah yeah um so um so i was able to take that and you know add in more aromatics uh reduce it down emulsify everything and then you know throw some toppings together and boom ramen special um nice. yeah and uh so so that went well so when we opened the new restaurant um uh he knew that was something that i wanted to continue to do more of so he said hey um if you want to put together a ramen special every sunday uh that can be like our thing at this restaurant so i've almost had like kind of a pop-up every sunday yeah. uh, with a different style of ramen and i'm under a lot of pressure because I don't want to make too much and not sell it and have uh -huh. a bunch of extra stuff. Um, but lately uh, I've been not making enough. <laughs> so that's cool. You know, that's a good problem to have. So, so as far as like um, substituting those ingredients from Japan, like how have you handled those things? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the fish thing. So, mm -hmm. so dried fish is, yeah, it's, it's definitely hard to get. Um, you can get it through mm -hmm. suppliers and, you know, the different uh, Asian markets and stuff like that. Um, 
really like stuff, you know, like Bonito, Katsubushi is no problem. So uh, that that's what I've been using the most frequently. Um, when you get into like uh, Naboshi and stuff like that, it, it, it gets harder. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, I think, um, I mean, to make making a good bowl of ramen in, in the U.S., it's it's not as challenging as I think some people think because I mean those ingredients are available. Obviously, you know we have tons of chicken, uh, we have pork bones. Um, seems like a lot of the topics um, that all you guys are talking about, especially now, are like umami-filled ingredients that are easier to find in the U.S., which, you know, that's cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think everything is accessible as long as you know to where, where to look, and having that tie to restaurant suppliers makes it that much easier, obviously. Yeah. That's really, that's really cool. So what, what, what kind of bowls have you been putting out for your weekly specials? Can you give us some examples yeah. of like some things that you've done? So let me, um, let me pull it up. I was just trying to think of this and uh, obviously my mind goes blank, but I can run you through uh, pretty much the last like eight or so. Um, so the first one I did was just, you know, a classic double soup show you. Mm -hmm. Um, that was February 16th. Okay. And then the one I did after that was fun. Uh, it was like a seafood shio ramen. So one of the things we have on the menu there is a, uh, lobster corn, corn dog. <laughs> oh, wow. So we have lobster bodies and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. Um, so I made a lobster katsubushi dot lobster katsuobushi dashi uh, -huh. uh i made lobster oil um and then uh you know so that made like a really good shio ramen pretty much uh with a heavy influence of uh shellfish um after that i did uh white chicken tori python um and then the next week i did a vegan one so uh just called it like a vegan curry ramen. Mm -hmm. And that one was pretty fun uh, because I used a shoyu tare, but I blended it with a curry roux. So oh, it okay. got a little bit of uh, you know, creaminess to it because I wanted it to be more like a, a python just to give it some you know, character, um, being that it was already vegan ramen. Mm -hmm. And so balancing, uh, you, you were talking about like tare, tare ratios, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So blending a curry roux with a shoyu tare and having that uh, season like 300 cc's of soup properly was pretty challenging <laughs> to not just end up testing so much to the point where I was just wasting it. You know? Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. How do you, um, are, so are they giving you mostly like, hey, Kyle, make, try to make some uh, ramen out of these waste ingredients. Is that what they're trying to do? Or is it more, no, more no, just like dude, you're seeing like, them there? And so, you're like... so yeah, that's kind of been, I, I get like a lot of satisfaction out of uh, seeing, okay, I have this, I can create this with it, but I can also, I have the cushion to purchase ingredients to okay. make it, you know, not just, you know, garbage, <laughs> garbage uh, ramen. Uh, <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I, I, I think that's like, part of the, you know, me trying to be, you know, uh, uh, a good chef is just, you know, utilize, make, taking the most out of the ingredients that I can, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, you know, to make a, a, 
a good dish. We had a long conversation last week with in the Discord about business models that work for ramen in America. Yeah. And it sounds like what you're doing is kind of a good prototype for this where you're you're operating within a restaurant but you're also offering ramen as like a thing that can also yeah, become like I mean, a star attraction for the restaurant yeah. itself. It's been interesting. I mean, you hear you hear play, uh talk about, you know, uh if a restaurant has ramen and sushi, well the ramen is probably fake, which uh-huh. yeah, I'd probably agree with that. Um we're we're already running a small menu. Um so it is not fun to try to make smash burgers and send it out with a bowl of ramen, <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, but it's, it's good experience, you know, to have to time all that stuff together because obviously, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, ramen comes together so fast mm-hmm. and I don't want it sitting there. It has to go to the customer right away. So there's so much time management going on with that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'd say as far as it just being like a, a once a week thing, it does work pretty well, um, but it's also, I, I mean, it's challenging uh, because, I don't know, I always have the pressure of, like I said, not, um, like, not, not over, like, when I ran that uh, vegan ramen, uh-huh. um, I ended up selling out, um, but it was the slowest mover, even though most people that have tried it have said it's been one of the best. Uh, just because it was, you know, a vegan ramen, you know, people weren't as into it as, as others, but, uh, but yeah, I need to, uh, I need to get on your discord, by the way, I don't even know how to use discord. <laughs> oh yeah. We do like these live chats where we just kind of hang out and do voice oh, wow. chats and like, oh, like okay. usually like a lot of the podcast guests are in there just talking about their experiences yeah. and stuff. So that'd yeah. be cool. I mean, we all like Mike, uh, ramen lawyer talks about he's very interested in the the business and economics of running ramen, doing ramen in America because, you know, the palates are different. The expectations of how fast you're supposed to eat ramen is different in America. Um, What has kind of been your experiences as far as that? Like what is the general person that comes into your restaurant in your city doing when they're eating ramen? Are they getting it and taking a picture of it and talking to their friend for five minutes and then taking one bite and doing that? Or is it kind of like in Japan where they're eating it as quickly as possible or, what is yeah, what's so the translation of that? They are they are definitely not eating it as quickly as possible. <laughs> um, so so there's I think a couple strategies um, you you can you can do with that. Obviously, you could send the noodles out pretty firm. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> you know if you if you if you wanted to, um, but I think you you also don't get a lot of people that are thinking their noodles are like. Uh, overcooked I guess so there's not um, but but I've really tried to um, make it apparent to people at this restaurant especially that uh, ramen is supposed to be served basically boiling Mm -hmm. Um, and that's part of the experience I actually so probably by fourth or fifth special um, I ended up getting to film like a live cooking demo for the local news out oh, here cool. talking about these specials. Um, and that, that was one of the, the points that I made is like, you know, I'm going to serve this to you hot because it's best in that uh, form. And really the idea is for you to enjoy it in that form. Mm-hmm. Um, but what one thing that's kind of neat about that is, so we're in, we're in a food hall there. So it's kind of like a, 
not really a takeout model, but all of the um, uh, like uh, dishes and stuff are disposable. Mm -hmm. So I'm selling these ramen specials out of these big like styrofoam bowls, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. And at first I was like, man, this is going to be super lame. <laughs> but the thing about that is, dude, it stays hot forever. Oh, that's like, cool. Literally maybe, maybe more than like a, a, a nice, like, you know, handmade bowl. Uh -huh. um, because like, uh, you know, if you get a drink from, you know, 7-Eleven or something, it's in those big styrofoam cups. Yep. Yeah. It just keeps your ice uh, from melting much yeah, faster yeah. than like a plastic cup, you know? So it was almost like, you know, it's it's super cheesy that I'm using this vessel, but it actually is working to my advantage. Yeah, yeah. And also yeah. the shape of it too, where like, you know, you have a, it's more of a narrow thing. So the, the, yeah. the cooling at the top is a less yeah. surface area. So Yeah. And if, you know, if I have like a good amount of oil on there, that uh -huh. literally just Traps seals it at the top, dude, I'm telling you, like it's, it's hot forever. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. What is the the flavor palette of these people of of the customers that come in to eat ramen? Are they open to trying like a shoyu ramen, shio ramens, or they do they want? Talk about a lot. Like a lot of people in America think of ramen. They either think of instant ramen, or they're thinking of tonkotsu ramen. You know, like there's. But are you seeing like a lot of interest in the shoyus and shios and things like that? Or yeah, yeah. I mean that that that's one thing is like I, I've 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 done things from every spectrum at this point um pre pretty close to and really like it seems like if i have a customer that's like a regular they, they are almost wanting to try something different cool um which i i feel like uh there's definitely like there are going to be customers that are like you know they, they want the the tonkatsu ramen or something like that just because that's what they know you know that's what's popular but it's it's popular because other places have done it successfully and you know they're enjoying it so word travels word spreads so you know if i run a, a special that is like relatively unknown or a different you know style and it's good you know that's just going to have that effect again you know so yeah i i really feel like the we're going to see like a change in like what people expect of ramen within the next 5 to 10 years because yeah man there's people sure. everywhere making good ramen. Like, you know, you're there and Mike's in Chicago and like a lot of these people that are kind of getting, doing pop-ups now, they're not really serving as much tonkotsu as maybe before. It feels yeah. like. Well, I think like, so tonkotsu in a, a, a pop-up environment, mm -hmm. it can be a lot of work, man. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, especially like if you're going into a restaurant where you don't know the layout, you don't know the equipment. I mean, just straining it, you know, could yeah. be, a nightmare i know i heard uh, i think mike talk on your your pop-up episode about how he tried to do the like and it took took three four hours to straight it's like yeah dude probably <laughs> did uh, um you know so that's that's something that uh goes into it for sure um I don't even remember your question at this point to be honest <laughs> no 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 i mean like i'm talking <laughs> yeah. about just just in, as far as far as like the changing of what people want when they order ramen is it's I, I can, I can really see that changing oh, over, yeah, over yeah, the yeah. next year or so or five years, yeah. because I think, I think it's going to come through these pop-ups and getting more people to experience that. I mean, that's super, super cool. You're like in the Midwest making pretty authentic influenced Japanese style ramen and not yeah, just yeah. pouring out of a I, soup bag. I mean, I've, I've been trying to keep it um, classic, but I also have this, this uh, uh, kind of urge to, 
not only you know use what's available or mm-hmm. but like kind of put my own spin on yeah, it yeah. If, if possible um but I, I mean honestly like tonkatsu ramen is probably my least favorite yeah style. yeah uh, so yeah i i i totally agree with you that it, it is is going to shift eventually um, i feel like it yeah yeah and I, a lot of the places um, out here, um, there, there, there's a handful that, that sell it. Honestly, it's 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 kind of thin. So I don't I don't know if anyone in this area, unless they've traveled, have really had like the legit version, you know, mm-hmm. unless they had it from me last week. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, I've been I've been really like digging the idea of doing more locally. Sorry about. It. Can you hear my kid? He's like, uh, oh, okay. oh, you, you can hear it because it's gonna pick up on the recording. I, I, I heard it briefly. <laughs> He's because it's we're doing study at home. I'm gonna cut all this out. I'm just telling you we're doing home learning, distance learning, and he hates doing homework. So I'm gonna just I'll be right back. Oh, I'm just yeah. gonna tell him to be quiet. Okay, okay. I think they're in. <laughs> okay, I think it's I think it's good. Okay, so um, yeah, so I, I've been really like enjoying the idea of bringing in more local ingredients into ramen because i feel sometimes people that make ramen outside of japan get trapped in the idea of you have to emulate what you had in japan to a certain yeah. to an extent where you're you're almost just trying to make japanese ramen when you have like these fantastic ingredients here in america yeah that we could also bring into it so i don't know like i mean what are you, you, that? you see um I, 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 it's definitely important to emulate the classics mm-hmm. um uh, e- even if that might be hard, you know, in the U.S. Um, but but I-, I think everyone that is aspiring to be a chef has a drive to try to want to use as many local ingredients as possible, um, you know. And I I think there's definitely there's you know like Eric in Cincinnati. I just learned about him from from your your podcast. Yeah, I need yeah. to I need to reach out to him. He's only like an hour hour and a half away. Oh, dude, he's such uh, a good guy too. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but I mean, I think the more people like that, that you see popping up, that, that, that's stuff that's going to be important to them, you know? So I think it's only a matter of time. I mean, I, I think like you, you just, you see a lot of, a lot of, uh, recipes that are maybe trying to be like American ramen that are just mm-hmm. weird or cheesy that, <laughs> that obviously it's going to be under more of a, uh, scrutinized eye, I guess you could say. Uh-huh. Um, but it's only a matter of time for sure. Yeah. Like I, and it's kind of interesting. Cause when I was talking to, um, I forget if it was his Kanda or Motoki, one of the Japanese ramen chefs I had on the show. Yeah. They were actually saying that for a Japanese person's perspective, it's so much more interesting to go to America and then eat an American version of ramen that's done well, rather than yeah, go I mean, somewhere and I, eat like a miso ramen or whatever, you know, I feel like, uh, I feel like they, they, they're kind of probably wanting something different, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. to a certain degree. And honestly, so I've only been to Japan one time and I was unprepared and didn't, you know, go through all the guides and know what ramen restaurants to go to. But I'm not going to sit here and say I didn't have bad ramen in Japan, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like there's there's so much there that I mean, it's just inevitable, I feel like. Um, But yeah, uh, I I think especially like... um, with with the video you put out, you know, with the the fish head ramen the mm-hmm. other day, that dude, I really thought that was awesome because you know you guys have all been talking about local ingredients, local ingredients, um, but it's just like 
it's hard to it's hard to do and stay true to what ramen is you know yeah um, but so to me ramen is comfort food like at the core right so you you looked at you know something from your childhood that resonated with you uh you also like ramen so why can't you put them together you know mm-hmm. um and i could tell i mean i didn't try it but i can tell from your video that that i mean that could be on a menu somewhere as a style of ramen you know so i know i really feel like i <laughs> i i just had a long conversation prior to this a meeting with a pretty popular food youtuber he kind of yeah. like found my videos and wanted to skype and he said i was the more i talked to him i was like man i really missed an opportunity to kind of because that video is perform, performing terribly. Nobody wants to know how to make fish ramen, in, <laughs> yeah, I guess. Should have put, like, but, the, put the head in the thumbnail <laughs> yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah, I should have put the head in the thumbnail. But, <laughs> but, um, but it really was like the, the movie Ratatouille where he tastes the, the ratatouille and it goes back to his childhood. Yeah. And I, I feel like I missed an opportunity of really telling the story of that because that whole bowl of ramen was based on a soup that my dad would make when he would go fishing. He would go fishing all the time. Right. Yeah. And, and, uh, he would catch this fish called Akule and he would always, we'd eat it. We didn't have much money growing up and cause he was trying to start his own businesses and stuff. And so he would, we ate a lot of fish that he would catch for dinner, like almost yeah. every night. And sometimes he would change it up and make soup out of the fish heads that he would, after we ate the fish, he'd keep the heads and make soup out of it. And it was like, I haven't eaten it in probably 20, 20, 30, almost 30 years, probably that soup. Oh, so wow. I just had like a vague <laughs> memory of yeah. it. And, uh, when I tasted it, it was like, oh, it's, the memory came back. Yeah, I mean, that that makes it, I mean, even cooler to me, to be yeah. honest, the fact that you hadn't had it in such a long time, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's kind of like, uh, you know, using the fish heads, that's, you know, that's kind of almost like my style, I guess you could say. It's uh-huh. like, you know, the, you're, you're using something that would have been, you know, thrown out to most people mm-hmm. and making something awesome out of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah. so I actually gave my dad like their leftovers. It's like, Hey, try yeah. this. You know, I, I, I kind of told him like, it kind of tastes like the soup they used to make. And he texted me back like, Oh, that was really good. Is like the fish head soup I used to make. I was like, yeah, yeah, that's what I was trying to do, you know, nice. but make it more of like a ramen version of that. Yeah. So I kind of, I dra- kind of dropped the ball, not telling the whole story on the video, which I think I should do more if I do more of those things. Cause <laughs> that video I mean, is like I the mean, worst. I, I, video. I got, I got the story, man. Okay, like, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So I, I mean, think, like, yeah. and I, I, re- I feel like if more people in America can do that, like, I, I'm really interested in, in someone making like a barbecue ramen, like a well done <laughs> barbecue in- inspired ramen, like based yeah. upon like a barbecue joint that they love and taking that flavor and bringing that into the tare or something and yeah, doing that yeah. well. I mean, I did do, uh, I did like a smoked miso ramen, okay, which, which was cool. So it's like, uh, the, you know, miso tare, but um, the week prior, the chef had run a, uh, a Mexican torta, oh, uh, yeah. which had uh, salsa matcha on it, which is uh, kind of like a, like a smoked chili peanut paste. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, and a lot of, uh, you know, miso tares end up having, you know, sesame or sometimes like peanut butter or yeah, something yeah. in them. And so, so I was like, I'm going to try putting some of that in, in my miso recipe. And dude, it really it gave it like some a lot of extra body, um, and that smoky element. Um, and I don't know, I don't know if anyone has done that to be honest. Um, so that was like taking a Mexican, you know, 
uh, condiment, I guess you could mm-hmm. say, and putting it in my miso tare. And yeah, like a barbecue awesome. miso ramen. That, <laughs> yeah, that, so I, that I'm not like going to say... Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to say I'm going to try that. Uh, I might try it. Yeah. I, I mean, the options are there. I think yeah. really it would just be like, you don't, you wouldn't want it to be like sweet. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like what's the <laughs> that balance be, of that? You know, just yeah. getting the hint of that, that flavor, that, <laughs> that, that the good, that good old like American ketchupy flavor like, profile, you know, we talk yeah. about that. Like, how do you make, like ketchup is such an American flavor, you know, the cat, like, yeah, Americans, like, I grew up, I, I, put ketchup on everything still to this day and like it's such like it's like the it's like the american teriyaki sauce you know yeah. like ketchup so like, well, it's like it's interesting that you bring that up in general because one thing i noticed in japan was like when i was over there is they're trying to do like burgers yeah, uh, yeah. like they're trying to do american burgers yeah and i had a couple and some of they were weird man they were yeah. so strange and, <laughs> you know so it's like it's like it's hard for us to make our version of ramen. It's hard for them to make their version <laughs> yeah. of a burger. You know? Yeah, I've eaten like every um, the last two times I went to Japan, I've tried to eat pizza there. Yeah, I have some like... weird pizza too, man. <laughs> <laughs> and like some people say it's good, but I've have, I've have yet to eat a good pizza in Japan. And I I, I went to a restaurant had that pizza. had yeah I went to a restaurant in Japan that had like all these awards pizza awards like international pizza awards mm-hmm. and i thought it was like one of the worst pizzas I've ever i've ever eaten in my life but i don't know <laughs> if it's because i i like american style pizza more than the italian style pizza i'm not sure if that's sure, the yeah. reason do you remember like what you tried it was just like a margarita like i tried to go oh, like, okay. like margarita pizza and huh. it was it, like it didn't have any taste at all like and it's, it's just weird like they're so good at making like i figured like they'd be good at people in japan make good at making anything yeah. They good, they're good at making Japanese food, but man, like it really seems when they go out of that, it's, it's yeah, gets, it gets pretty weird pretty fast. Yeah. Oh yeah, I, yeah. rightfully so. I, I think it's we're in the same boat over. Here. <laughs> <laughs> cool, man. All right, um, yeah. I got some listener questions here. We can gonna sure. get to them. Bring on the trolls. Yeah. So so, <laughs> like like you know you've listened to the show long long yeah, enough. Yeah, where there's a lot of trolly <laughs> questions here. And uh, so I apologize in advance because every time I, there's a name that I don't recognize, I assume it's someone that the person knows. So, uh, so Broken Harbor asks, why ramen? Yeah. So why ramen? That's, that's definitely an interesting question. So I went to start going to culinary school about five years ago mm-hmm. and, you know, I was uh, 25 years old. So I was like career shifting. Um, and I was like, man, I really need I need to latch on to something that I can make like mine. And I was like, man, I love Japanese stuff. Like I love video games. I love anime. <laughs> Ramen's awesome. Dude, I'm going to learn how to make good ramen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, that, that, that's kind of been my focus uh, the whole time, almost, almost five years at this point. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I've made some progress uh, towards that. And uh, I'm definitely starting to uh, get some attention in the local media, you know, the area and stuff like that. So, but yeah, to me, ramen is like, that's my comfort food. Mm -hmm. So it's just, um, you know, it it just seems right to focus on. Yeah, that's awesome. I got a lot of questions here. The same, they're all asking a lot of the same questions. So Ale Salko, um, Tom from Vermont they're all asking, was it worth it going to it? And I think you already answered that, but yeah. Yeah. yeah I okay. mean, 
more or less yeah okay cool <laughs> All right. And uh, so now my Japan TV, who's also another ramen YouTuber in Japan. Yeah. What was the biggest surprise going to the school? Like something that you didn't really expect or? Um, the, the first day <laughs> was definitely a surprise uh, with the, the, uh, uh, the different uh, emergency interpreter, I guess you could say <laughs> translator. Uh, but I think, I think my biggest surprise was um, putting together some of those recipes and um thinking they were good but being uh, you know I, you're always your biggest critic right mm -hmm. and then having these like ramen masters try them and be like this is this is great like oh, yeah. you you could sell this at, at your restaurant and, and be 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 perfect so that was just like very validating you know and i just i didn't really expect to have that experience <laughs> that is cool yeah like, for a lot of people making ramen at home you never get that validation because yeah. Like even Kanda in Japan, he's making ramen at home. He never got that validation from other people until he entered that contest and professional chefs tasted his ramen. Right. And said, Dude, I mean, I, um, yeah, so kind of doing the almost pop-ups ramen specials at, at my job. Um, the, the first one I did, I was so nervous. Mm -hmm. You know, I was like, eh, this is, I think this is good enough to sell. Um, but I would probably give this a seven, you know, uh -huh. uh, if, if that. And then, you know, when people start telling you that's the best ramen they've had, you know, oh. in the country outside of, you know, sometimes they said it's better than stuff they've tried in Japan. Do I believe that? Probably not. <laughs> but but it's like, that must mean it's decent, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, so, yeah. How do you, um? do you try to cook ramen at home too? Or do you just yeah, mostly do Yeah, so that's, that's kind, of, um, kind of how I started um, whenever... And that, that's, I'll be honest, that's been the coolest thing about being able to do this at work because when you make ramen at home, you know, you're spending two, three days um, until you get certain things down and then certain stuff you can, you know, get down to maybe a day. Um, but, you, you know, you, you make it, you spend all this time and literally the worst thing is you, you're making something you think is going to be great and then you try it and you're like, yeah, this is garbage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, and but then it's like, so you think it's garbage. You don't want to invite your friends over and waste their time having them try it. You're like, I just spent all this money on ingredients and I just got to dump this out. I mean, honestly, dude, like I work, you know, I'm a cook at a restaurant. So, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not exactly rolling in it. You know, it's, yeah. a, it's a passion project for uh -huh. me. Uh, but, you know, we're moving up, we're moving up. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you notice like any big differences as far as like, Cause you're making mass quantities at a restaurant, right? You're making, you know, a lot of bowl, the quantity yeah, yeah, of soup just in it's, general. It's scaled. So one thing, um, a lot of, because I've always made ramen at home with the vision of either doing a pop-up event or mm -hmm. opening a restaurant. I've, one of the goals of mine has always been, okay, can this tari be scalable? Can I this see, soup recipe be scalable? what size pot do I need? Uh, how long is it going to take? Stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it, there's, and then other times where you're at home, you're like, okay, I just want to make like four portions. I'm going to, you know, ball out, just make them awesome, uh -huh. which in a restaurant setting obviously wouldn't be wise. Then you have to sell your ramen for $25, <laughs> yeah, yeah, which yeah. is not going to happen. <laughs> yeah like it seems like that's like the biggest challenge for anybody wanting to do pop-ups or any kind of ramen 
selling ramen is the cost prohibitive nature of using the best ingredients and figuring out yeah. where to cut corners in a way that doesn't compromise what flavor you want to get out of the. Yeah, I think like you, you don't necessarily need to cut corners as long as you allocate enough time to get everything out of the ingredients you have. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, you know, but that also in a pop-up setting, you know, if you're going into a restaurant for like, uh, after they close and you have five hours to sell the next day, mm-hmm. that promotes a challenge, you know, and it's not exactly legal to prep stuff at your house. Yeah. And yeah. you probably don't have the means to prep 150 orders of something at your house. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's tough, man. I've, I've gotten really lucky um, just kind of having everything fall into place mm-hmm. um, at this restaurant because um, next door, there's kind of like an event kitchen where they have like private chef parties and stuff like that. Oh, and it's cool. really cool because it's like a 15 seater uh-huh, uh-huh. um, around like, you know, a grill, a flat top and a fryer. Um, uh, so it's almost like a... Uh, kind of like a hibachi style yeah, yeah. Uh, look to it so but dude it's like almost set up like a like a japanese ramen shop yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like there's like 12 12 to 15 seats around a bar yeah. with an open kitchen so um we've already been in talks of doing you know actual pop-up events there off off of the restaurant where mm. i can sell tickets and have you know 200 people come in through one day uh, but then, you know, the world shut down. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's been kind of like, it's been crazy. Like, uh, I see a lot of these ramen shops in America doing kits, like take home kits and things yeah, like that now. Yeah. And I, I kind of, it, it's been something that I I was thinking about before even the whole coronavirus thing. I was like, man, this kit thing, I know there's like ramen hero. People always tell me, like, oh, the ramen hero is doing that. And, but I feel yeah. like these local kits from local shops, I feel like it's it's a it's a business model that might stick around past coronavirus because the biggest challenge that whenever I tell the idea to people there, I was like, why wouldn't you just go to a restaurant and eat that at a restaurant? Yeah. And, and but you know, but some people like there people still buy frozen pizza and people still buy like these things that you kind of make at home, but it's yeah. not you could go well, to a restaurant thing, to eat pizza too and you can yeah. do that. So I mean the the cool thing to me about the the kits is so you can get to go ramen and you can package the noodles and the soup separate. Mm-hmm. And then if the customer's smart, they'll warm up the soup and know mm-hmm. how to get the noodles going. But it's, it's not going to be the same yeah. as getting it. it. It's never the same. Sometimes it, you know, it hits your craving, but any, any, you know, real ramen cook or real ramen chef, someone asks for something to go, you're going to be like, yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. it's going to hurt you a little bit. You yeah. Know? But you know, in, in America, that is obviously a need uh, and a necessity. Um, and then I think with the whole coronavirus thing, you you definitely see shops that weren't offering to go. Now they're offering to go. So they're yeah. like, okay, we don't have, even in Japan, you know, mm-hmm. I'm seeing places start to facilitate delivery and stuff like that because, I mean, you have to, to stay afloat, yeah. which is, you know, but uh, with the kits in mind, I think that's really cool because, you know, you're, you're not cooking the noodles, you have everything separate and you're providing them. I mean, I'm hoping instructions, instructions which yeah. gives you, you know, like a free education class. Mm-hmm. So now the customer understands why you're doing everything the way you're doing it. Mm-hmm. And they understand uh, how everything comes together and what it creates when it's done. 
Yeah, so, and it's kind of like that whole Betty Crocker cake mix where the first yeah. batch of that, first first version of that, you, all you had to do was add water and you would bake an yeah. awesome cake. But they found yeah. that people didn't like it because they didn't, they didn't feel like they were cooking. So they right. added, they changed it so you have to add an egg and some oil in there. And, and the, actually the cake isn't even as good as the one that you just put water in, but people felt better about it because they're, it's like their cake now. And so maybe for ramen kits, it has a similar feeling where it's like, Hey, I made this, you know, like I put this together, even if they're just boiling noodles and putting things in a bowl and heating up soup. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's really cool. I mean, you see like on like companies like blue apron and stuff Uh like that, like I'm pretty sure they have done like ramen in their meals. Probably. Yeah. Probably. People, people enjoy those experiences, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes maybe even more than going to a restaurant. Especially like if they, if, I mean, they're not exactly making everything. They're kind of just heating it up and assembling it, which yeah. is, I mean, ramen is 90% prep. That's, yeah. that's the why, that's why I like, it. <laughs> you know, you don't, you don't have to be an amazing chef to be able to pull that off. Right. But yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you can make people feel that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think yeah. it's, I think it's going to be really interesting coming out of this and how we're going to reopen the country. I, I'm not seeing, I don't see a way that you can, just flip a switch and everybody goes back to normal from here. Yeah, it's going to be interesting I mean, what directions people go from here. Dude, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Nama Japan TV also has one more question and it's a troll sure. question. So he says, how do you combine ramen and weight loss? Oh, dude, that is not a troll question. <laughs> okay. So I was kind of expecting that to come up. He's probably obviously looked at my Instagram. So uh-huh. Backstory on that, uh, I've lost over 100 pounds in the uh, last like, year and a half. That's awesome. So how do I combine ramen and weight loss? Uh, ramen becomes a cheat meal. <laughs> so, so yeah, I do not eat it every day. Um, uh-huh. I eat it, but I feel like that makes it much more special mm-hmm. when I get to eat. <laughs> but yeah, it's been uh, quite, quite a wild ride with that one. <laughs> that, that's amazing, man. Like, how did you... Um... Cause I was like, you started that, it feels like a year you've been making ramen from before then too. You went to Yeah, Japan. dude. So, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty tall. I'm like six, three, but oh. I was, I weighed over 300 pounds. I kind of carried it over my whole body. So mm-hmm. a lot of people, I mean, I was, I was over looked overweight, but a lot of people didn't think I was like super obese or whatever, but I did, I felt so unhealthy, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so eventually, you know, I started just eating super clean, but it's important to, you know, uh, keep yourself on track with, you know, good food <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now and, then. and just, you know, um, what, what's funny with the whole weight loss thing is I was like, you know, if I'm going to be running my own restaurant, uh, I, I, I want to be in good shape, you know, yeah. I don't want my feet to be hurting after standing for, you know, five hours. <laughs> Cause I'm going to be standing for like 15 hours, you know? And I've really seen a difference, you know, in my performance just over the last like six months or so. So that's been good. That's awesome, man. Congratulations. That's yeah. a lot of hard work so, you put so in. Not so not a troll question. Thank okay, you. Okay, good, good, good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so um, Food Tnam asks, um, did you experience the Ivan Orkin treatment in Japan? Like basically accepting a white guy into this ramen community kind of thing or was it yeah so uh my experience in japan was was pretty interesting um 
that was the first time I ever left the country. So oh, wow. I definitely experienced a lot of like culture shock uh-huh. um, because it's very different. Uh, I was much uh, taller and larger than pretty much <laughs> yeah. over there. Yeah. And I also have a lot of tattoos, which are, uh-huh. some people are not super cool with. Um, so, but w- one thing I noticed in Japan is like, everyone is like extremely polite. Mm-hmm. Um, m- maybe to the point where, uh, they're, they're going to be passive aggressive before they like <laughs> say something to you, yeah. which I'm okay with, honestly, it just makes everything easier. But, um, yeah, everything, everyone was super friendly. I'd say the only, uh, kind of weird Ivan Orkany treatment I noticed would sometimes be like on the subway. If there's oh. like an elderly person, you kind of catch them, like maybe looking at you, <laughs> but if you look over there, like, you know, look away. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Tattoos yeah. are still not a, a normalized. It's, it's changing now. Like you see young yeah. people with tattoos, like popular young YouTubers with tattoos now. But yeah. it's definitely still uh, your like yakuza kind of thing. Or, oh, you <laughs> yeah. got the sleeves too, which is more yeah. The, yeah. No, yeah, dude. I, and my my leg is done <laughs> up, and it's just it's not a good recipe for over there. But you know, I'm a nice guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think it's but they're going through this really awkward phase in Japan now, where people are getting these really ugly tattoos because you know they're getting like that that one thing on their forearm or whatever, and yeah. it's like by itself it just looks lame but that's because they're trying to straddle the socially acceptable level of you know it's yeah. just they're going through that phase right now and it's pretty bad but i think eventually i i predict within 20 years it's going to become normalized because people are going to get older and it's not going to yeah, be that big of a deal anymore it's just that's, that's the direction a lot of things are going i think people are being more accepting of everything yeah. so judge a person by like the person not whether their tattoos and what they look like yeah so. <laughs> for sure so so Craig Bruce, another question from the uh, listeners. Craig Bruce, mm-hmm. he asks, what does building layers of flavor mean to you? Building layers of flavor. Um, so you think about that one for a second. I think uh, when, you, when you're referencing that to like a bowl of ramen, um, you're, you're sometimes putting a lot of components into the tare, into the soup. Um, I have learned that that's not necessarily always a good thing. Um, okay. I think like when you're making a shoyu tare, um, the most success I've had with making different tares is, so shoyu is, you know, soy sauce. The base of that is going to be sometimes blends, sometimes one different soy sauce. Uh, if you appreciate or enjoy the flavor of the base ingredient, all you have to do is just reinforce that. You don't have to add a bunch of other stuff to it. So honestly, like uh, a lot of the Atari recipes I've been using, partly because I've been doing it in a restaurant setting and I have to make a lot of portions are, are, are simple, you know, yeah. four, four ingredients or so, just, you know, a couple different soy sauces, steeping uh, different things that are going to help the umami, uh, shiitake, kombu, Mm-hmm. Um, into that I'm not adding you know five different soy sauces a bunch of aromatics mm-hmm. like uh, you know fish sauce hoisin sauce I've heard, I've heard all kinds of stuff um, so I think when you're because ramen is made up of you know different elements um, when you're keeping all of those elements is simple you know kind of like less is more 
Um, that's how to build flavor well. You're not, so to me, building flavor is, um, less is more is kind of my motto, I guess. I you think, could say. I think that's a great way to approach it. Like I, 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 that, that the podcast episode with Kandasan was like two hours, two and a half hours long, but that conversation yeah. really changed the way that I think about a lot of these things. Cause he actually recommended just putting, just using soy sauce for your tare. Like yeah. it's kind of crazy. And I mean, and, but, I, it, but it really <laughs> is like, you're, you're using it. You, you have these ingredients. Yeah. And like, if you're just throwing everything in and not being thoughtful about what flavor you actually want to produce at the end. Yeah. But then, then yeah. So is it about, what you're actually using or is it about all the ingredients you added to change the flavor you know mm-hmm. yeah exactly yeah. yeah yeah so like what is your what is your goal and so like i've been so that fish ramen was the first time that i was tried to be thoughtful about it like what do i want this to taste like at the end and yeah. why why would i need to add something if it's if it's, is it really necessary to add this to get that uh-huh yeah for sure and yeah so that's a pretty that was a pretty big turning point for me and i think a lot of people in america are still under the impression like so those books, uh, what did I put them? I'll show you that the other YouTuber. I have like a bunch of these Japanese books. And yeah. they're, they're, some of the Tati recipes are insane, like 15, 20 ingredient Tati recipes. Mm-hmm. And I guess Kanda explained it is that they're doing that because the in, if they're serving a bowl of shoyu ramen, for example, they want their, their customers to experience the same flavor every time. And it's much easier to maintain consistency with a Tati then mm-hmm. you know your consistency with the soup the chickens are going to be different every time the yeah pork is yeah be different. yeah for sure for sure yeah. yeah but but it really is like for if you're doing smaller like even pop-ups you're you're doing different styles a lot and things you should really try to just nail the flavor that you want nail with the ingredients i, I it was a big re- re- revelation for me and i think you kind of feel that way too where yeah not, you're yeah. not masking ingredients you're highlighting the flavors that you want to highlight rather than yeah like really kind of my style lately the way it's been going is okay so all different different bones different vegetables uh you know they're all giving you different types of the umami acids right Mm -hmm. um so um i'm just wanting to try to maximize as much of that as i can so that might be using pork and chicken in a soup using shiitake kombu uh, dried fish to make a dashi, combining those. So then you, you're getting, you know, mommy synergy from all those different components. Um, that is something in this area in particular that is not happening whatsoever. Uh-huh. So I, I think part of the reason why I've been successful with these pop-ups um, is people are um, just getting, that's producing a flavor bomb, you know, mm-hmm. quite honestly. And uh, I, I think it's almost, it's almost a secret, okay? Uh, unless you're going to Japan, uh, you're not hearing ab- about that. Um, yeah, yeah. And I've I, I binged your podcast probably two weeks ago, right? <laughs> um, and your podcast is the first time I've heard you know different guests uh, talk about stuff like that, and they all have had some sort of experience or uh, direct correlation with someone that has worked in Japan, right? Mm-hmm. So you know that's that's kind of um you know goes back to the building flavor thing that's just another way to do it but you're also uh using natural ingredients you know mm-hmm. not combining a bunch of stuff yeah yeah uh is it is so like that's the umami flavor flavoring it's is it i mean they call it the the fifth flavor yeah or whatever it is but 
I guess it really isn't. I mean, it's of course like you know everybody knows you have glutamates in tomatoes and you have it in cheese yeah. and all these things and everybody everything has, you know, you, everybody eats meat and or meat people who yeah. eat, eat meat, but the the umami bombs I guess is is something that's kind of <laughs> unique to Asia and Japan where you're yeah. literally just bombarding your tongue with these compounds and nucleotides and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Is that something that like that that's probably that's probably right. Like if you're in a if you're in America the whole time. And you've never experienced what that is like. It's like you put in your mouth and like, bam, your tongue is like, what the hell's going on? Yeah, yeah. I, I know. Like when I was going through uh, culinary school, like umami was kind of described to me as like that savory sensation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like so, so when I when I did the segment for the news, uh, local news out here for my cooking demo, I said, you know. Uh, for me to feel like I was successful is like you, you go in, you, you try your soup and you have that sense of like, Oh, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and to me, that is like that, that's that sense of umami, like just hitting you, you know? And it was so funny because the female newscaster, uh, she tried it and I literally saw her face like light up and I was just (laughs) like, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah. So I feel like, you know, if you, if you hit those components, um, that's, that's what makes ramen so special is, you know, you're combining all of those umami elements, mm-hmm. um, into one dish, you know? Yeah. I think that's what makes it so impactful when it's, you know, served correctly. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> awesome stuff. Yeah. It's kind of like, it really is like a special kind of, it's, it's such a weird thing because it seems so simple from the outside. And a, a part of that is that an American, knowledge of ramen comes from instant ramen a lot but yeah which which dude i mean what's funny is i feel like i got those sensations from instant ramen as a kid now was that from msg probably (laughs) whatever i i don't i don't really care to be honest but i mean it's 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 cool to make legit ramen but have it still pay homage to the package stuff which i think is awesome yeah 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 Awesome, man. All right, let's go. So, okay. So this is our last question from Ryan wants ramen. Any tips yeah. on personalization of a bowl, like flavor fusions or weird flavor profiles for bowls? Yeah. Um, I think it's hard to answer that without knowing kind of where he's wanting to maybe go with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I said earlier, I kind of, I got satisfaction out of, you know, seeing a like a mexican uh ingredient or uh condiment i guess uh that that i thought would complement the miso well and combining that and not having it taste like it was like a mexican dish like it Mm -hmm. actually did highlight the japanese ingredients um so i think just like and that's uh being able to recognize stuff like that is going to come from trial and error and experience but you know eventually as long as you're you know your your head's in the right spot and you're thinking about it constantly you're you're going to pick up stuff like that and that's how you're able to kind of personalize your own your own ramen i guess is what he's asking yeah kind of how you did the the fish the fish (laughs) fish head ramen (laughs) i i really want to do a miso barbecue ramen now like it's this conversation (laughs) yeah i mean i mean dude try it i would yeah. say just don't make it too sweet i think that would be weird <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah um how, do you have any tips on like miso? this is like off the question this is my personal things now like yeah 
miso tare is something that I've struggled with. Like I've, yeah. I did one good one, a recipe out of a book and I thought that was awesome. But like it requires yeah. all of these different hacho miso and saikyo yeah. miso. And was that, and was that the one you did a video for? Yeah, that, I did a video. Like, and that, that, okay, tare yeah, was, yeah. that miso tare is amazing. But I was yeah. kind of wondering like, you know, it's so hard to get a lot of those things. You got to like order from, off Amazon. Like if you just have like a red and white miso, like what yeah. do you, what is your general process of building like a good miso tare out of that? Yeah. So my, my, so the, the smoked miso ramen that I did, mm-hmm. I guess that was five weeks ago. That was the first time I made a miso tare and put it in a ramen where I was like, wow, this is actually yeah. good. I cracked the code. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, so really kind of the basis of that is I only used a red, I used a red miso. Um, and then I, uh, you, you know, how I know Mike is very particular on not really doing anything to his miso, Yeah. which yeah. that's cool that, um, <laughs> I need to see like what kind of misos he's using, because uh-huh. I think that's very important is yeah. the, the base, the base ingredient has to be, you know, good, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but really what I did, so I took the red miso and I used, uh, like a, a garlic oil. Um, and I cooked it in that, um, oh, and caramelized nice. it. Yeah. So I was using, um, you know, my old aroma oil to kind of get some, some extra punch into that. Um, and then, yeah, I, uh, fused it with the salsa matcha, which gave it that kind of peanut, uh, smoky uh-huh. element. Um, and then dude, I, I, I put a lot of garlic in everything. <laughs> like, um, so, um, and then a little bit of sugar, um, MSG probably. Uh-huh. I, I feel like I use that a little bit every time because <laughs> it just it just helps, man. <laughs> like, yeah. um, it's so uh, funny. Like the people's reaction to MSG is still kind of like, I can't win on YouTube where I'll do something without MSG and people's like, why don't you use MSG? It's just yeah. completely safer. And then I do one with MSG and people are like, Oh, MSG, no thank you. Like, I guess, like Yeah, I, I feel like uh, I feel like you have to take a stance on it. You have to either be all in or you have yeah. to be like, oh, no yeah, MSG yeah. ever, you know. But but I mean like a, you know, anyone who's uh you know a legit chef, you know, in the last twenty years will tell you uh, you know, the whole MSG scare was like a food blogger that, you know, had uh-huh. a bad day and blamed it on that and everyone believed him, you know. Yeah, so yeah. It, it is what it is, man. Like I, I just try to, um, it hasn't really come up that much. Um, mm. but if it has, you know, that that's a talking point, you know? Yeah. So any chance to educate your, your customer, your audience, I think is, is worth it, whether they believe you or not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know? Sorry. So I've got off topic. So you're, you're putting tons of garlic, some MSG. What else are you putting? Yeah. In? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the red miso, the salsa matcha, infusing that with the garlic oil um a little bit of sugar a little bit of msg i'm pretty sure that was pretty much it man i just cooked it and re-blended it i okay so there was um so i used uh like a korean miso too just like a soybean paste yeah so there was two misos um but yeah uh that was kind of um i just kind of put that together based off of some different ratios I had in one of my notebooks from school. Mm-hmm. And I was really kind of tasting it. And I've been like, okay, I have to enjoy this or it is not going to translate well. Mm-hmm. So just adding different components um, 
and just just tasting every time you add something um, so you can kind of control the direction it's going um, was, was how I was able to be the most successful with that. How do you taste tares when you're developing a new tare because it's so salty like yeah, yeah. How do you, so uh, <laughs> the, the, yeah I'm not tasting like big spoonfuls that's for sure. and yeah. then another thing I will do a lot is um just take like 10 cc's of something and dilute yeah. it in like a hundred of soup yeah yeah or or sometimes just water water yeah. uh, because if you can get it to be enjoyable with lukewarm water <laughs> then you're gonna be you're gonna be in very good shape yeah 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 that. cool. that's but, kind of what i did um, too another, so one challenge i found with that is mixing tari into soup before you're adding the noodles it can uh i think you want it to be on the verge of being too salty uh -huh. because when you add the noodles and the toppings even if your noodles are like completely you know strained out all the water it's still gonna soak up some of that like saltiness so like i've had where i've had something i'm like oh, okay yeah that's seasoned perfectly add the noodles it's not salty enough you know yeah yeah even if i did that like you know 17 percent, 18 percent salinity yada yada uh yeah so it's just like uh trial and error for sure um oh mirin in the in the uh oh, yeah. also yeah <laughs> yeah that's so cool man well yeah. I think we can kind of wrap it up. Can you tell everybody where they can uh, find you on Instagram and your restaurant if you can ever go back after coronavirus and can find yeah. you there? And... Hoping so. <laughs> but yeah, so on Instagram, uh, all kinds of social media. Uh -huh. uh, my my tag is the Kyle Machine. Um, it's a long story behind that. I've had that since I was 11. Um, <laughs> At but, least uh, you didn't have like some ridiculous name. That's a pretty good name that you could keep through the whole thing. Yeah. And then the restaurant that I work at right now, um, it is called Lil Dumplings. And the Instagram is Lil underscore dumplings underscore the yard. Um, the yard is like where it is in the wow. city. So, yeah. Cool, man. Hey, thank Very you so much fun. for coming on the show. Yeah, really appreciate for sure. It. Absolutely, man. Thanks so much again to Kyle for coming on the show. Like I said, I'd always wondered what these schools were like, and I think most of my questions got answered. So please give him a follow on Instagram. He's at the Kyle Machine. He's a really talented and thoughtful ramen chef, and I'm sure he's down to help anyone who has questions when they have it. And he's also on our Discord server now, too. We were talking it up today. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to support it in some way, I recently moved the show to Anchor. So along with not having to pay for hosting charges anymore, which I thought was still the normal for podcasts, listeners can now support the show directly by visiting anchor.fm slash wayoframen. And there's a little support button. If you click that, there's a couple of options there to support the show. The show will always be free, but if you want to throw me a couple bucks to buy some ingredients to make ramen, I'm definitely not going to complain and I'll be very appreciative of that. So yeah, check that out. Anchor.fm slash way of ramen. As always, you can follow me on Instagram at way of ramen and check out my videos on YouTube by searching the way of ramen on YouTube. We talked a bit about this fish head ramen video that I made in this episode and I was super proud of it, yet no one seemed to want to watch it. So you can check that out. Help me feel a little bit better about myself. Anyways, thank you guys all so much for listening. I hope you're all staying safe and healthy out there, and I'll see you all in the next episode. Peace.